You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11, as well as Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15 You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Thanks, Joshua. There's quite a number of things going on here. A very good morning, everyone. The Lord bless you. Am I standing in the right spot? Okay, great, cool. Uh, As you can see, we are facing uh, innumerable technical difficulties, and that again reminds us that we're not in Singapore anymore. Uh, We're here in uh, Malaysia, so for those of you joining us online, uh, warm welcome to you as well uh, from here, from, I mean, from where you are in Singapore. Uh, We hope the live stream is going well for you. Uh, Audio visuals are still coming through, even though there might be some problems with the slide. Uh, Yeah, we'll see how, by God's grace, this will be resolved. But in any case, uh, let's start on a more joyous note. Uh, Today is Father's Day. I did not know. I mean, I knew, but I kind of forgot, right? I think we have a tendency of doing that. Uh, Can I get all the fathers to just rise to your feet? Uh, Stand together with me. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Yeah, uh, please remain standing. You know, we've been talking about honor in the family, uh, and I, I believe honor is due especially to the fathers, uh, the husbands uh, in our midst. So would you join me? Uh, let's stretch out your hands towards them. Let's pray a blessing upon them. Father, we commit us fathers to you. Uh, Lord, we are in an inevitable, enviable position because you yourself, oh God, describe yourself as a father. How are we to live up to that, Lord? But Lord, you invite us to come uh, with the love of Jesus, with the adoption that you give us through him, that knowing your love, we can also be fathers to the children you've blessed us with. And so I pray, O God, that you would open our hearts afresh, Lord, to receive your love, Lord, to receive your deep, unconditional, your welcoming, uh, Lord, your forgiving love that is just covering our lives, Lord. Pray, open our hearts to receive that, Lord. We pray also that you give us such a, uh, through that, an awareness of the needs of our children, Lord, to shepherd them, to, to meet their physical needs, uh, Lord, their, their financial needs, their psychological needs, uh, but above all, the needs of their soul, Lord. We pray that as fathers, you would enable us to raise them in the ways of the Lord, that even in our marriage, uh, even through our marriage, uh, even through the things that we sit down and talk to them about, the things we celebrate with them, the things we, we rebuke our children for, Lord, that you would be honored and you'd be glorified. 
And we pray that the greatest blessing for us as fathers, that our children would grow up knowing you, loving you, and surpassing us even in their love and fervency for you. So we commit us as fathers to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let's put our hands together. Please be seated. Now today we've come to uh, the last morning of Camp Honor. We've talked about honoring God uh, from the first commandment and from the Shema. We've also spoken about honor in the family and how that is foundational uh, to honor in the church and beyond. And we've looked at Jesus, right? How we've looked at Jesus. He is the one dishonored for us that we might be honored before God. He is the greater and better Moses who witnesses all the golden calves that we have set up, and yet he drinks the cup of God's wrath in our place. Yet he is the one who takes the sword for our sins. Yet he is the one who is crushed so that our covenant, our relationship with God is renewed. Jesus is the one who enters into our family history of brokenness by suffering separation from his father, uh, whose love he has enjoyed for all eternity. And Jesus turns our family legacy of failure into a family legacy of faith. And so as a people, we say Jesus is the worthy one. He is the king. He's the infinitely faceted jewel above all creation. He is the beauty and glory of all that is good and excellent and praiseworthy. And he is ours. That is our hope. That is our comfort. Now today we come to the last day of camp honor. What are you taking away from camp? What are you taking away from camp? You know, for some of you, maybe you've come to a new understanding, a new appreciation of, of what honor is all about. Maybe for some others of you, maybe there's specific things that the Holy Spirit has prompted you to do and you're going to be working on that. But how about for us as a church? What do we take from this camp? Now people as a church, we want to be committed, devoted, invested into building a culture of honor in our church. What is this culture of honor? Oh, praise the Lord, it works. A culture of honor is, let's read this together, where God unapologetically receives the highest place in our lives and in our church, where as a covenant people, we are unyielding in out-honoring one another. This is what we must take away with us. We want to be careful and intentional to build such a culture of honor where God is exalted and where we count others more significant than ourselves. But how do we get there? How do we develop such a culture in our church? Now, people, I believe it's going to take three things. Number one, we need an identity shift. Who we think we are determines what we believe we must honor. Who we think we are determines what we believe we must honor. We need a Christ-anchored, cross-founded, idol-hating identity for a God-glorifying, people-loving honor. So that's number one. Number two, we need a regular reset point. We need a regular reset button. Our hearts are prone to wonder. Our best intentions don't work. Honor takes work. Sometimes we give up. So whenever we go off track, we need a source, uh, a space to reset our commitment to building a culture of honor. That's number two. Number three, we need personal ownership of this honor culture. 
This culture is not something that the elders and the leaders build for the church. It's something that the church needs to build herself. And you and I, we are that church. Right? So again, to build this culture of honor, we're going to need, number one, an identity shift. Number two, a regular reset point. And number three, a personal ownership of this honor culture. Now, the amazing thing is that God, in His wisdom, has actually provided a practical means of meeting all these three needs and to keep a culture of honor going. And this is given through the Ten Commandments, particularly in the fourth commandment, which is the Sabbath commandment. Right, this morning, I want to dwell on this Sabbath commandment and give us three Sabbath invitations towards a culture of honor. Is that what's up there? Right, great. Now, the first invitation is to come, rest. The second invitation is to come, reset. And finally, it's an invitation to come and renew. Now, I'm going to be extending these three invitations through the Scriptures to each one of us today. And as we receive these invitations, know that your response to these invitations is going to be so vital in building that culture of honor here in Agape. Your response matters. So here's the first Sabbath invitation. Come rest. Now, the way we rest tells us a lot about who we think we are and tells us a lot about what we honor. So I came across this article by Channel News Asia uh, while preparing for this sermon. So apparently, there's this thing called bedtime procrastination. Right? Basically, you have an intended time that you, you want to go to sleep at, and there's nothing actually that's stopping you from going and getting that rest, but you end up pushing back your bedtime, maybe because you decide you want to get one more chore done in your home, or you want to get some extra schoolwork done, or you, know, you, you decide you, you want to go and exercise instead, you know, things like that. And you know that you need the rest, right? Uh, you know that it's not healthy to be losing sleep, uh, but you decide to push it back uh, to procrastinate your bedtime anyway. Right? So that's one thing. Then there's a, this other thing called revenge bedtime procrastination. Now, revenge bedtime procrastination is pretty much the same thing. It's choosing to push back your bedtime despite being aware of all the downsides and all of that. But the motivation is different. So the motivation behind revenge bedtime procrastination is that because we feel we desperately need some me time, right? Some me time after spending hours and hours at work, and we, we desperately feel we need that me time. And this is true for school-going kids. This is uh, true for, for uh, homemakers as well. And so many times, uh, what happens is that this category of people, they postpone their bedtime to unwind, especially through using their devices. Right, so they watch shows, they, they go through YouTube, they scroll endlessly, and at some point, they think to themselves, okay, this is the last one. Right? This is the last, I'm, after this, I'm done. And then, after that, it's like, okay, never mind, just one more. Right? And it's just one more, it's just one more. And the consequences uh, of, why, of, of that happening, or of that pattern, is actually quite alarming. Right? So the article, where the research was showing that regular bedtime procrastination is linked with insomnia, it's linked with depression, among other things. And of course, the general lack of sleep is never healthy, right? It's associated with heart issues, digestive issues, a whole host of other issues. The thing is that we know these things, but even so, we engage in such patterns. Why? What do these patterns of rest or lack of rest tell us about ourselves? What do these patterns tell us about the society we are in? 
what do these patterns tell us about what we honor? Now, however you answer those questions, the reality is that we see our rest as ours. Our rest is ours to use or to abuse, right? Because our teachers, our bosses, they can demand our work, uh, our family can demand our attention, but our rest is ours. We do what we want with it. And then we hear the fourth commandment from Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now the first thing this commandment tells us is that even our rest belongs to God. Even in our resting, we are meant to honor Him. We are to love the Lord our God with all our rest. But in the fourth commandment, God specifically commands that one day be set aside for Him. It is holy to Him, right? It belongs entirely to Him. And the expression of how we set that day aside for Him is by not doing any work, right? We are given two reasons why we should not work on the Sabbath day. The first reason is that God worked only six days and rested on the seventh day. And maybe the question that is posed to us is, are you trying to outwork God? Are you trying to be more productive than God? Right? Are you greater than God that you don't even need to rest? Right? And we honor God on the Sabbath by not working and resting like He did. Now, the second reason is that God blessed the Sabbath day as a day of rest. And we are reminded that our God is the giver of rest. He is the one who leads us by green pastures, by still waters, the one who restores our souls. Familiar words, Psalm 23. We are reminded that it is in vain that we rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, because God gives to His beloved sleep. Psalm 127. In Exodus 33, God says to Israel through Moses, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And so rest is not only for God, but rest is also from God. Did you catch that? Rest is not only for God, it's not what just we do for His honor, but rest is also from God. It's His goodness towards us. It's His blessing towards us. It's His love towards us. And that's how it is, isn't it? Because we gather every Sunday to worship God, to be a blessing to others, to serve in various ways. Some of us even put aside all our work on those Sundays. And we do all that because we want to honor God. Because we know He calls us not to forsake meeting, but to in love for Him, to dedicate a day of complete worship to the Lord. But even as we do that, as we try to love God, we find that He has first loved us. And as we try to honor God, we find that He has first honored us. And as we try to bless Him, we find that He is the one blessing us with the rest that we dearly need. And all of this is found in our Jesus. God's commitment to love, God's demonstration of honor, God's faithfulness to bless, all of this we find in Jesus and in His finished work. And as we think about building a culture of honor, one of the biggest ironies, right, one of the strangest things to think about is that a culture of honor that is not built on the rest Jesus gives is actually not 
honoring at all. It's not honoring at all. If we are trying to honor God out of a legalistic zeal, it's not God we're trying to honor, it's ourselves. If we are trying to honor God apart from who we are in Jesus and what He has done, it's not God that we're trying to honor, it's ourselves. If we are looking to our own resources, our love, our patience, our goodness, our emotions as the basis of how we honor one another, we're not honoring each other, we're honoring ourselves. But when you see Jesus dying in your place, you just have to admit you don't have what it takes. And when you see Jesus willingly taking your place, then you know you're loved. You know you're accepted. You know God is on your side. You know that every heavenly blessing is now made accessible to you in Jesus. And if we were to build a culture of honor for God and for one another from that foundation, from the foundation of what Jesus has done, how could we attribute any success we experience to ourselves? Right? Even the success we experience, it would prompt us to say, if not for what Jesus did, how could this culture of honor have come about? And God is doubly honored. Now, people, we come and we must come and rest in the finished work of Jesus. It is the only foundation that enables us to build a truly God-honoring culture of honor. And we are invited to seek that rest every Sunday when we gather for worship. That's the first Sabbath invitation. Here's the second. Come, reset. Now, the thing that people often find most stumbling or most unreasonable about the fourth commandment is that the Sabbath day is meant to be a day of no work. Right? It just seems unreasonable. I think, I mean, many of us maybe think Moses needs to experience 21st century life, especially in fast-paced Singapore. Now, if we consider 9 to 5, right, uh, as one workday, based on the number of hours we're working, some of us are squeezing in maybe 10 to 12 workdays into each week. And this applies also to the hours that our students are putting in, and this is also the hours that many of our stay-at-home moms are putting in. Right? And we look at the Sabbath commandment and we see how it's built on God's example. Right? He's the one that created everything in six days and then he rested on the seventh day. And we say, I'm not God. Right? If I could leave an entire day of work, uh, of, 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 you know, free of work and just rest, I would. But that's just not how life is. Life is just really hard. And I want to say that I think that this line of thinking is onto something. Right? There's something there. There's some truth in our discontentment with this Sabbath command. Now, you see, we must be careful not to build our Sabbath practices of rest just on God's example in creation alone. Yes, in creation, God made all things in six days and He rested on the seventh, but we are no longer living in the paradise of creation anymore. We live in a world ravaged by sin, and we mustn't forget that. We mustn't ignore the realities of sin. And I think... Moses gets this too because towards the end of his life, Moses speaks to the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy and he recounts and re reminds them of the Ten Commandments. And here in Deuteronomy, Moses still talks about resting on the seventh day, about keeping it free from work, but the rationale is completely different. Right? This is how Moses ends his recounting of the Sabbath command in Deuteronomy. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand 
and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now you notice, Moses never mentions anything about God working on six days, resting on the seventh. Moses doesn't talk about creation. Instead, Moses looks to one of the people's greatest experiences of this sinful, broken world, and that's when they were slaves in Egypt. Now, what Moses is doing is that he's telling us that the Sabbath is not just about working or not working. The Sabbath is about identity. Who you were, you were once slaves in the land of Egypt. Who saved you? It was the Lord your God that brought you out from, from that land of slavery. How he saved you? He did so with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And finally, who you are now. You are no longer slaves. You are God's chosen people, his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests unto God. Now, people in a sinfully broken world, the Sabbath acts as a reset button. The Sabbath resets our identity. We go through each week sub subjected to all, the ki all kinds of difficulties that you know, we face in a fallen world. Even as Christians, we can once again believe that we are nothing but slaves. Right? We're just oppressed. We're just helpless. We just have to go with, with what's uh, expected of us. And we are slaves to work and work and work and work without rest. Or we are slaves to desperately looking for escape from that work, from the cracking whip of your workmaster. And what happens is that you forget about the gospel. It's like Jesus never died for you. It's like Jesus doesn't love you. It's like he doesn't know your name even. It's like Jesus wasn't rejected so that you may be accepted. Like Jesus, Jesus wasn't nailed to the, tree, to the tree so that we might be set free from ours. And then we come on a Sunday and we hear the call to worship. And we are like, oh yeah, there's a God who does know my name. Right? And he calls me no longer to whimper like a slave, but to worship like a son. And we sing the songs, right? We look at the lyrics of what we're singing. We're encouraged by the music that's playing. And against the grain of how we feel, against the heaviness that sits on our heart, against the sense of defeat and numbness that's eating away at us from the inside, we sing our hearts out to God. And just as God saved us with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, we lift our hands to Him. And our outstretched arms say to the Lord, I remember you are my deliverer, you are my savior, you are worthy. And then we receive the preached word, and we are led to the cross, and our hearts meet with Jesus, our lion, our lamb, our king, our savior, our righteousness, our sacrifice. And we repent, we return to Jesus, and we remember again who we are. We are not slaves. In Christ, we are overcomers. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And our chins are raised up once again. There's a dignity that floods into our hearts. Our eyes begin to sparkle. Our voices ring with hope once again. And we rediscover who we've always been in Jesus. We are the apple of God's eyes. And our identity experiences a reset. And that shift in identity, it also means, uh, means a shift in our behavior. You know, as slaves, we couldn't honor anyone but our slave masters. Our eyes were always on the ground. 
But now, as the redeemed, we lift our eyes to see Jesus. And we raise our honor to God. We exalt Him. We magnify Him. And then we become aware of the needs of others. And we suddenly recognize and we see the dignity that others have around us, made in the image of God. And with a newfound freedom, we begin to imitate our Savior, sacrificing ourselves to honor those to whom honor is due. People, the weekly Sabbath reset is crucial in building a culture of honor. Now, in the previous point, I spoke about how we can't build a culture of honor without resting uh, on Jesus' finished work. And I just want to say that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes when we miss that weekly reset because of work, because of busyness, because of things like that, it's like we're engaging in bedtime procrastination. And sometimes, and again, not all the time, but sometimes when we miss that weekly Sunday worship because we want to rest through traveling, through sleeping in, uh, through having some me time, it's like we're having engaging in revenge, bedtime procrastination. We need the rest. We need the reset, but we're putting it off, right? And instead, we immerse ourselves further into identity as slaves. Uh, we fuel that gospel forgetfulness, and that, that kills our souls. That pulls us further away from a posture of honor towards God and towards others. So people, we need the weekly times of worship together. The Sabbath reset each week is not just helpful, it's not just useful, it's not just beneficial, it is crucial. We need that reset terribly. Let's look at the last Sabbath invitation, which is an invitation to come and be renewed. Now, there is one vital piece of Scripture that every Christian should know about when it comes to the Sabbath, and it's found in Colossians chapter 2. Here Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, we must be very clear that the Sabbath commandment is no longer as what it was in the Old Testament. If it were, we would need to seriously decide if the Sabbath should be kept on the Saturday on a Sunday because the day matters, right? If it were, if keeping the, the Sabbath commandment today is still the same as in the Old Testament, then we would have to tell our employers, boss, I can never work on the Saturday or Sunday because if I do, I would sin against my God. Please don't make me do that. Our church would have to come up with very clear guidelines about what it means to work and what it doesn't mean to work, what, what it means to rest. And the elders would have to rethink whether the Agape staff team should be allowed to work on Sundays or not. So it's not as binding as what it was in the Old Testament, right? And, and that puts my sermon in a very funny position, right? It's a very interesting position I'm in. It's like, if this is not binding for us, then, you know, why are we talking about it? Why is Pastor Nan preaching about this, right? Why do you have to listen to anything that he's just said or as anyone has ever said on the topic of the Sabbath, now, I'm going to give us two reasons why this sermon still matters and why you should give the Sabbath commandment deeper consideration. The first reason is that there's a difference between complying with the Sabbath commandment and applying the Sabbath principle. I'll say that one more time. There's a difference between complying with the Sabbath commandment 
and applying the Sabbath principle. We no longer need to comply with the Sabbath commandment in the strictest sense, particularly in terms of the day and the activity of the Sabbath, but we are definitely called to apply the Sabbath principle. What is the Sabbath principle? It's about finding rest, and again, ultimately in Jesus. Even in the New Testament, we see a pattern where Christians set aside a day for seeking that rest in Jesus, but they didn't call it the Sabbath, they called it the Lord's Day. Now, you must remember that it was part and parcel of the Jewish way of life, right? Keeping the Sabbath is part of the Jewish way of life. And so when the Jews came to faith and became Christian, it was a natural thing for them uh, to still meet together and worship and find rest in Jesus. But then Christianity spread to the Gentiles, right? These are not Jews. And setting, you know, this setting one day apart for finding rest in Jesus, it didn't come naturally to them. It wasn't part of their daily life. It wasn't part of their way of life. And this created some tension uh, between the Jewish and Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians were like, hey, why aren't you keeping the Sabbath? And the Gentiles were like, what's a Sabbath? Right? Isn't, it, isn't this such a Jewish thing? Must I keep it as well? And so Paul writes to this, I mean, you saw him write to the Colossians, but he also wrote this to the Roman Christians. And he said, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. Now Paul says, let's be clear about why we are setting apart a day for worship. Let's be totally convinced about why the church needs to come together on a particular day to find rest in Jesus. And then here comes the second reason why you should give the Sabbath commandment, deeper consideration. Because Paul goes on to say, the one who observes the special day of worship, he does it in honor of God. Now, Paul is pointing us beyond our need for Sabbath rest to a deeper question. And the question is, are you honoring God? It all comes down to that question. And in the next two verses of Romans 14, Paul says, for none of us, lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And this is the posture to which I want to challenge you to face each Sunday worship gathering together. Every Sunday when you decide to come to worship, you decide to come to church, come out of an honor for Jesus. Come because He is worthy. Come because He has brought your life at a price and now you belong to Him. Come because you miss Him and you want more of Him. Even if every Sunday is a drag, right? And it's like coming every Sunday in church, you feel like you're dying. Come because your death belongs to Jesus. Let your presence at the Sunday worship gathering each week be a weekly renewal of your personal commitment to the Lord. Let every Sunday be a returning to God and saying, Lord, I honor you. Let each Sunday morning be spent intentionally in worship. Let every Sunday gathering in church be a deliberate, conscious renewal of your honor for God and where you are giving Him the highest place. And if we would do that, then we will be building something truly remarkable. We'll be building a culture of honor 
sorry, a culture of honor is first built one deliberate Sunday at a time. As we each deliberately honor God with our presence, with our participation each Sunday at the worship gathering, we will see this culture being built. Now, of course, every time, right, not just on Sundays, whenever we come and gather around Jesus and we do so out of an honor for God, we are building the culture of honor. This includes the Friday cell meetings, the ministry meetings, the classes we have, the weddings in our church, the funerals in our church, and all the things we do in the life of the church. But it begins, it begins first with our weekly worship gatherings, which for Agape Baptist Church falls on a Sunday. Sunday, the first day of the week, is the day that we see the New Testament believers gathering to worship because Jesus rose to life on a Sunday and we want to honor Him uh, by worshiping Him on a Sunday as well. So our church has chosen to follow in their footsteps. Our people, let your presence and participation at each Sunday worship gathering be a deliberate renewal of your honor for God. So to build a culture of honor, we have received three Sabbath invitations. Each Sunday, come rest. Come reset. Come renew. Will you receive those invitations? Let me just bring this time to a close by telling us a story of two kings. So there were these two kings. They both wanted to build a culture of honor that revolved around them as kings. The first king ruled a massive empire that encompassed nations, tribes, and languages. The second king barely had a kingdom. His kingdom was in ruins, and his subjects had deserted him. And so to build a culture of honor, the first king crafted a massive statue of himself. It was huge, it was glorious, and it's made entirely out of gold. It attracts the attention of his subjects for miles around. The second king overhauls his own personal image so that he looks just like the people he's supposed to rule, and no one takes notice. The first king then invites the best of the people to come and see his golden statue. The princes, governors, military commanders, supreme court justices, finance ministers, trade ministers, diplomats, ambassadors, they all respond to his invitation and they oohed and aahed at the golden statue. The second king did the same, and he invited the best of his people to come and see him. But they laughed at him and rejected his invitation. So this second king invites the least of the people, the fishermen, the tax collectors, prostitutes, beggars, crippled, blind, the deaf, and they flock to him. The first king organizes the best orchestra on earth, uh, from the best musicians with the best instruments from all the nations, all the cultures, to provide the most glorious compositions so that the people would be even more in awe of his golden statue. The first king also orders that at the sound of the music playing, every person there, regardless of religion or language, they must bow down and worship this golden image. If they refuse, they would be executed. If they obeyed, they would probably get rich, probably enjoy pleasures, probably enjoy more power. The second king is himself made into a spectacle. He's beaten, he's bloodied, he's stripped bare. He's nailed and hoisted on a cross so that everyone can see him. And people from miles around flock to see this spectacle. There's no musical accompaniment for the second king. There's only the choir of jeering and mocking and scornful laughter. 
the people look at the image of the cross and the king who hangs from it, and no one worships. And this second king is executed for their unwillingness to bow down. The first king looks at the people bowing down to his golden image in fear and in greed, and he believes he has successfully built a culture of honor around him as the mighty king. The second king, in his dying breaths, he glimpses into eternity and he declares, it is finished. This second king also believes he has successfully built a culture of honor around him as the servant king. The first king is King Nebuchadnezzar of, the, of Babylon. And the second king is Jesus, whose kingdom is not of this world. People, which king are you going to follow? Both kings are building their own culture of honor. But the kingdom of Babylon is building that culture by offering you the possibility of gold and a good life, while also making threats against your life. The kingdom of heaven is building that culture by offering you rest. And the king, King Jesus, invites you to come, not with threats and empty promises, but he says, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, because he will give you rest for your souls. He is gentle and lowly of heart. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. People, which king will you follow? Which kingdom will you invest in? Which culture of honor will you build? Let's prepare our hearts to respond to the Lord. People, we're coming to the end of this camp. The challenge for us from this camp is to build this culture of honor where God unapologetically receives the highest place in our lives and in our church. Whereas a covenant people, we are unyielding in out-honoring each other. We are invited to build this culture by giving such a priority to the Sunday worship gathering. That through the Sunday gathering, we come and we rest in Jesus. We come and reset our identities, that we are no longer slaves, but the redeemed church of Jesus Christ, and even the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We come and renew our commitment to honor God and His people Sunday after Sunday. This is the most ordinary, the most basic of challenges. Don't forsake the Sunday worship gathering. Come needy for rest in Jesus. Come seeking that identity reset at the cross. Come intentionally deciding to honor the Lord your God. And as we do this, we build that culture of honor one Sunday at a time. Now, if you want to make this commitment and you're saying, I want to follow King Jesus, I want to invest in His kingdom, I want to join Him in restfully building that culture of, an, of honor here in Agape, could I invite you just to stand to your feet? Stand to your feet. This is not for my eyes to see or for anyone, eyes, anyone else's eyes to see. This is your stand before the Lord. This is your declaration to Him. He alone is your Savior. This church is not your Savior. None of the elders can save you. Even making this commitment cannot save you. Your response, your commitment is first to Jesus, not to us, not to anybody else. And so as you stand, what you're saying is that come rain or shine, 
Come convenience or inconvenience. Come good times or bad times. Every Sunday, I'm going to be there. Every Sunday, I want to meet Jesus. Every Sunday, I want to build that culture of honor. And now if you're standing where you are, if you're, even if you're sitting, would you verbalize this commitment to the Lord in prayer? Close your eyes, give your attention fully to Him. Open up your hands. And tell Him, Lord, these are my circumstances. Lord, these are my difficulties. Lord, this is my heart. It is so wishy-washy. It is so prone to flip and flop. And it wanders from you, Lord. Lord, this rest that you offer, this rest that my soul really needs, would you give me a foretaste even now? Lord, encourage my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Grant me a taste of that rest. And would you also say to him, Lord, when those days come, those days of discouragement, those days of despondence, those days of depletion, of just being down, Lord, would you bring to mind this commitment that I'm making at this Sunday morning? And give me strength, Lord. Give me faith in those days. Give me a vision for the culture of honor we are building, Lord, where you are unapologetically exalted, raised on high, given the highest place as you deserve. And Lord, where we are unyieldingly, as your people, upholding each other above ourselves. Would you come and say these things to the Lord and ask, Lord, help me. Lord, I can't do this without you. Lord, help me to rest on Jesus, what he's done for me. If you're seated, I just want to invite you also to stand to your feet and I just want to pray for us. Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy, Lord Jesus. There is no one like you. There is nothing in the highest heavens. There's nothing in the depths of the earth that compares to you. No diamond, no desire, Lord, no detriment can shake our hearts can fill us with, the, with blessing and yet fear like you do. You are the one we honor. You are the one we adore. And Lord Jesus, we ask your forgiveness. We ask your forgiveness for a Sunday consumerism, Lord, where we come with shopping baskets in our hearts and we're saying, Lord, what can I get out of this? Lord, I like the worship, don't like the sermon. Lord, didn't like the prayer of confession, didn't like people talking to me. Lord, why can't we do more of this? And Lord, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, we also ask you forgive us for settling for slavery. Lord, that we come Sunday after Sunday and we are fine to enter the doors of your church as slaves yet again and to leave the doors of your church still the same, Lord forgive us. You died that we could be set free. Lord, help us to cherish it, Lord. 
You were sensitive to die for us, but we have not been sensitive to live for you. Forgive us for dishonoring you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you see every person uh, who was seated and who's struggling uh, in their hearts about committing to you. Lord, would you have mercy? Would you warm their hearts? Warm our hearts that, Lord, because you only can transform. Only you can bring faith and courage out of unbelief and fear. And Lord, you saw every person who stood making that commitment before you. Lord, have mercy on us as well. These commitments we make are precisely for the hard times, for the seasons where our faith is low, Lord, when our hearts are going astray. And we pray, O oh God, that you be kind to meet us, to revive us as we honor our word to you this day. But above all, O oh God, be honored in our midst, be magnified, and teach us also to honor one another, even to the point that one day we would honor the lost. Maybe we would even honor the unreached through planting churches, Lord. Now, Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg